that I, I try to um, convey to providers is that oftentimes, oftentimes, um, when patients are having a hard time, they feel they seem withdrawn from us. That most of the time, it doesn't have to do with just with us, you know. And I think it's really important to to keep our egos out of it as much as we possibly can and recognize that the interactions are not about us, but about about our, about our patient and what it is that they need most um, in that moment. How can empowered provider-patient communication and relationships foster improved connection and healthcare outcomes? Let's talk all about it with podcaster, award-winning author, and physiotherapist Jennifer George right here in episode 360 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello there. This is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people out there. I love having you along for this ride with me. And here's a special request. If you find value in the show, Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to help cover the costs and keep the show going. We're well over 400 episodes now, including all the bonus episodes that have come to you over the years. You can pledge as little as $2 a month, or you can always pledge more to get some awesome stuff in return. So head over to P-A-T-R-E-O-N, that's patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. And you can also show your support by referring yourself, your dog, your friends, your colleagues to Nurse Keith Coaching for holistic career coaching. I've provided over 2000 sessions to nurses and healthcare providers all over the country and the world. And if you would like to chat with me, email me at keith at nursekeith.com. And if you mention Jennifer George or the show, you can get 15% off your first coaching package. And to learn all about Jennifer, you can head over to nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 360 to the show notes. And we are welcoming Jennifer George. And Jennifer, it's so great to have a fellow podcaster here. And you and I are even on the same network at the Health Podcast Network. And it's super cool to be to be podcasting brethren, isn't it? It really is. I'm so excited to be here with you, Keith. I love your show. Um, I love what you're doing, what you've been doing. And um, yeah, I'm just happy to be a part of it and grow the network, basically. Oh, you know, thank you. Yeah, and we, we're both big fans of Dan Kendall over at Health Podcast Network, and there's a lot of great shows over there, and yours is one of the really wonderful ones, and I'm so glad we're connected. You. And your whole thing is about communication, and you're a physiotherapist, that's what yep. you're called in Canada for yep. our American listeners and listeners in other countries. So you're a physiotherapist and you're an author. And your podcaster, like I said, and patient provider partnerships are what you're really all about. And how did that come to be like a real focus for you in terms of wanting those partnerships to really be built on like stellar communication? I think, um, well, for me, it stemmed really from my personal story of caregiving to my father for more than 11 years. So, and it was interesting because when my dad fell ill, it was at the onset of my career of becoming a physiotherapist. And um, I witnessed his interactions over the years and ours as caregivers and as family members. Um, and, you know, it it really 
changed the course of the healing at times for him and our outlook as caregivers. So it really, though, I have to say, you know, it shaped my practice throughout my career. I've been practicing now for 14 years. And it wasn't until my dad passed in 2018 that I became so conscientious of that that piece of my practice. Um, you know, we we assume a lot of our skill comes from our clinical skill set and our, our competency, and and we don't realize that the glue that holds all that together is really our ability to connect and communicate and create partnerships with patients mm-hmm. and caregivers. Yeah, and I'm I'm sorry about the loss of your dad. I lost mine as well in 2020. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a healthcare provider, but it's another thing to witness your own loved ones going through the healthcare system and the ways in which communication can really enhance their experience and your experience as a family member, and then how it can really break down. And what are some of the ways you feel really called to you that you were like, this could really be so much better. Was there a a crystallizing moment or is it just an accumulation of observations over time? Yeah, it was definitely an accumulation. But um, if I could go back to when I was a student, so I was visiting my dad in the ICU and um, I was about to graduate. I was just a few months away from graduating to become a physio. And my dad had been in the ICU at this point for a few months, and he was just about to start physio. Um, he was just starting to, to start making some recovery, um, but his cognition was still an issue. And I'll never forget walking into the treatment room, into his room, and um, he was dangling at the bedside, and there was a, the physio sitting in front of him on a stool. And I could tell that the physio, like I could feel that the physio was super frustrated. Um, And I could see that Mm -hmm. my dad wasn't really following and I I could sense and I could feel the frustration. And at one point the physio turned to me and said, you know, I I need you to think like a physio and not like his daughter. What would you do in this case? And Mm. the implication there was that he really wasn't appropriate to be on the caseload at that point. And And he proceeded to say, you know, uh, your dad's taking up the majority of my caseload time and basically we're not getting anywhere. And it's hard, it's mm-hmm. hard to hear that. And, and, you know, in healthcare, the struggle is how can we convey things that are difficult? Um, and, but how can we do that with compassion still? And how can we do that? Because we do have to sometimes give bad news, but um, I think mm-hmm. it was just not given in the the right context. And I know the intention wasn't bad, obviously, but it was just out of frustration. And I do realize that now as a physio yeah. working in hospital, how busy things are. And I, I understand that stress accumulates. Now, if you were in the place of that person, if you would trade places, how would you have approached that situation and you were feeling frustrated and you knew that maybe this wasn't the most efficacious use of time and resources, but you saw this hopeful family member standing there, like wanting her dad to get better. Yeah. So what what's another way to approach something like that? That's a great question. No one's ever asked me. Um, I, oh, I'm just thinking about that right now. And I think I just would have been encouraging. I would have just said it's very early on. We don't know, um, you know, if, if that was talked about, we don't know what the course of his recovery will be like, but we'll, we'll continue to check in and work with him um, and continue to consult with the medical team about 
you know, his appropriateness for care and things like that. So I think I would have, mm-hmm. yeah, I would have had a dialogue and a conversation about it. Um, but it was an intense moment and, and these things happen, these things happen. It, and it's, I think I'm so fortunate as much as my caregiving and as much as seeing my dad go through his struggle throughout the years, um, I'm so fortunate to have witnessed both sides and to have been on both and to be on both sides essentially, because I think that's only made me a more empathetic provider overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and empathy is a huge part of it, isn't it? And yeah. when, when people are in a vulnerable state, whether it's the patient or the loved one, we need to stay connected with our empathy. It's super important because otherwise we're really losing something so central to care and a little empathy goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it only takes a little bit of empathy to go a long way. And I have had students over the years. And um, most recently, a student said to me, um, you know, Jen, I, I can't say because people think that um, in, to respond in an empathetic manner, some people say that, you know, you kind of say things like, oh, I, I understand what you're going through. And I think that was the student's impression of what empathy was. And, um, he, he had said to me, you know, I can't say that because I don't, I don't, I've never been through what they're being, what they're going through. And for me to say that that isn't true. And I I totally agreed with him. And, um, and I thought it was brilliant that he had, had seen that and recognized that, um, for me, empathy is really about trying to understand. So it's not saying you understand because we really don't understand what another person's going through, even if on paper, it's the same suffering in a way or the same um, injury in a way. Um, But it's just really just trying to be present and be with your patient and um, conveying that you're trying to understand their perspective and their feelings and emotions and their, their thoughts around everything. Yeah. And I think what you just said, like, you know, I'm trying to understand. Mm -hmm. And I often find it's very efficacious to say say something like, I really wish I could understand what you're going through, but it's nothing I've ever experienced before. And I can only imagine what you're feeling right now, you know, and that that's very disarming to say that to someone Mm -hmm. like to say, Mm -hmm. to recognize that they're suffering, but just to say, you know, I can't even imagine what you're going through and what you and your family are feeling. And the person, I think when, when a provider does that or any professional does that, um, there's a little letting go or that happens inside someone's body. They feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, this person actually sees me. And once you feel seen, isn't that such an enormous part of communication is just for the person to feel like you're, you're, you see them for as a human being. Yes, totally. And I think those non-clinical connections are important. Those conversations, you know, being genuinely interested in who our patients are as human beings, first and foremost, you know, what their, you know, what their family situations like, what they, what they enjoy socially. Um, you know, I've, I've had moments over the years where, um, another example that's in terms of being seen, I was working with a patient. I just met him for the first time and we were conversing about what had happened and he had kind of an undiagnosed weakness that was going on. And, you know, when you're really fully present with someone, like you said, you see them and and you're really with them. And um, I could tell that there was just something that was 
holding him back. There was just something that um, was a bit emotional there. And I, and I had said to him, I said, um, I can tell that there's something else going on. You know, do you, would you like to share that with me? Is there anything more that you want to share with me? And, and he had conveyed that his wife had passed away. It was the anniversary of his wife's death that same day. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, you know, and as a healthcare provider, you can't help but feel like that's a big part of the emotional like that emotional pain was a big part of the pain he was also coming to the hospital with too, um, you yeah. know, and, um, and I think in a way for him that was releasing too, um, to share because, you know, we were able to talk about that as well and, and provide support for that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And your, your mission, if you mm-hmm. were going to describe your mission in terms of your, your awesome podcast and the conversations you have there and your book and the speaking that you do, mm-hmm. what, what's the mission and, and what do you feel like you can, you, you're offering to the world? Like what's your, what's your big gift to the world right now? My, my big gift and the impact I want to have is to ultimately improve communication between patients and providers and um, just to help heal, help recognize how important that is to the healing process as well, um, just mm-hmm. as much as any other clinical skill that we're, that we're often trained in. Yeah. Everything and for me comes wonderful. back to that. Yeah. 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 That's a valiant and noble mission. And you just mentioned training. So in your experience and what you've gleaned from talking to people and doing the speaking and everything you do and writing, where are we missing the mark in our education? Because whether it's physiotherapy, nursing, medicine, you know, what's, what's not getting communicated, speaking of communication? It's a good question. I think it's, I think that, um, for one, I think, especially right now with in healthcare and among all healthcare providers, that some kind of um, education needs to focus on the well-being of providers as well. Because a big part of what I believe in too, as a part of communication, is that we are a big part of that, and um, you know, our physical presence presence isn't enough. And um, it's hard sometimes to when you're when you're losing a sense of yourself or if you're feeling burned out to fully be present with patients. And and that's often the argument, right? That's often the objection um, sometimes to communicating because it it does take time to develop. Um, And then the other, Mm -hmm. the other would be to, um, to give more attention to and skill training on um, interpersonal communication to improve the, the communication between patients and providers and how we can do that. I would love for one day to have students in my, um, in my path who don't have to even touch a patient and just literally uh, for a few weeks, just like listen to people's stories and kind of take in that side of, of healthcare that, um, we sometimes overlook when we're students and we're trying to just learn it all, right? We know we're being evaluated. Um, so that would be really cool if we could we could just bring students in to just literally shadow and just get to know patients for for who they are and have conversations and build their skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes it feels like we should all have a chance at being patients because some mm-hmm. of us are some of us are consumers of healthcare more than others and we know what it's like to be on the other side of the the uh, hospital gown <laughs> and so then true. other people don't right and yeah. 
I mean, nursing is very communication oriented and, and I had some grounding in communication skills in nursing school, but definitely not enough. And I hope that schools these days are teaching emotional intelligence and relational intelligence mm. and motivational interviewing and all those sorts of things. Did you experience any of that in school? Was it part of your education? <sighs> No, the only thing I remember was right at the onset of my schooling is we did a first impressions video, which was really a, a, a video a recording of a simulated uh, assessment and just kind of more the first impression mm. behind it. And that was it. And I mean, that's one way of learning for sure is watching yourself on, on camera and your interactions. Um, but I, I also think there's a lot of power to actually like... Um, practicing this in a real setting with real patients, with real people, um, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I mean, obviously that would be ideal if, if that could happen. But other than that, for me, what I haven't had any formal training in my education prior, but post-education, there's a lot of, um, and I'm seeing it more and more, and maybe because my eyes are just more and more open because I'm so invested in this, is that there's a lot of pockets of programs out there. And, you know, we all have a shared mission, but they're all just so all over, right? Like, you you don't know uh, what's out there. And, and it's unfortunate that it's not standardized across all health education curriculum. That's true. Yeah. There are people doing interesting things mm -hmm. around communication, there's uh, here in the States, there's Dr. Candy Campbell, who's a friend of mine, and there's uh, Beth Boynton, who's a nurse. Both of them uh, teach skills and techniques of medical improv. Awesome. And they do, they use the improvisational model as a way to teach communication and healthcare. Have you ever come across medical improv in your, your wanderings around? trainings around communication and healthcare? Um, just by my own, like I'm a part of um, the EACH. So each organization, it's called E-A-C-H. That's the acronym. Mm -hmm. And I think they're based out in the UK. Um, so I've watched like vid video simulation on there, but, and that's just myself though. So not actually being engaged and being a part of it, just observing and, and just watching people on camera and how they, they're communicating. But I haven't actually physically been a part of it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And uh, you familiar with the actor Alan Alda? Remember yes, Alan Alda from love MASH? His, yes, love his podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his incredible podcast, kind of about communication. It's called Clear and Vivid, right? And yeah. he talks to a lot of scientists and he's really big in terms of the communication of science, like educating the public about science. But he also, mm -hmm. he's a very empathic person. He, he talks a lot about you know, how do you communicate correctly? And he actually trains healthcare providers in the use of improv. So he also mm -hmm. does that. So I'm glad you're aware of his podcast and you'd be a great yeah. person for his podcast because you're, you're, <laughs> you're all about communication. So I'll have to give Alan I'm a call and have him, have him, oh. I'll have him text you next week. Okay. I would love that. It's funny you say that because yeah. I literally was on his website not that long ago. I had heard of his podcast a few years back. I've been following it since then. So, um, but yeah, that's funny you say that now. <laughs> yeah. He asks these really funny questions at the end of his show. 
Um, he asked the same seven questions of each guest. And I've been pondering doing something like that on this mm-hmm. show. And he asks questions like, how do you stop a compulsive talker? <laughs> or oh, how do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? <laughs> oh my goodness. And, um, I have to get back to him the, on those. <laughs> yeah. So I'll get back to you on that, Alan. I'm not really sure. Um, just keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I wanted to ask you, when we talk about provider-patient relationships and communication, we can train providers, right? We can, mm-hmm. they can go to improv workshops, they can read books, we can show them videos, all that kind of stuff. What about patients? What do you know about and what do you think about educating the general public, <clears throat> pardon me, about communicating with their providers. That's also a a part of what I do too. Um, So I've spoken with a few organizations here locally, uh, one of which was Crohn's and Colitis um, Canada. And I I talk a lot, I speak a lot about empowering patients um, to advocate for themselves uh, because there was a time in our journey where we felt quite disempowered um, and recognizing that, that that's not something that you necessarily give someone as empowerment. It's more or less something you create for yourself and kind of assisting and, and guiding um, patients, uh, you know, on the other side of the healthcare system to, to speak up for themselves, to find their voice and just offering some guidance in doing that. So that's a big part of what I do as well. And um, as much as I am, uh, you know, a healthcare provider advocate, I'm probably even a stronger patient advocate. And, and that's mm-hmm. um, just because I think it's just for my personal story that uh, everything I do comes back to that. So, um, yeah, so that's one of the things I do is I, I um, help other uh, patients also just find their voice. And that's also through through their own well-being and just being an active participant in their own care and knowing that they have choices and um, that they can always ask questions and um yeah and and get the information that that they need yeah i think we we need sort of a university of healthcare communication for patients mm-hmm. i think it would be really it would be really wonderful to to be able to really train people like this is how you talk to your provider when they're stonewalling or when they're not being empathic right. yeah <laughs> yeah it, you know? it's a, it's quite amazing like um it's quite amazing how people don't recognize that they they that they just don't have that that they always have a choice or that they can always ask that the door is always open and and um, I'll, I'll never forget I, there was a story uh, I was helping a patient and his spouse we were doing like a car transfer education session and he, they hadn't seen each other in a long time he had been away from home for a while and in hospital and he was getting close to going home and um this was pre-covid too where we did when we did, used to do passes we would we would uh, send patients home on passes and trial things out and so that's what they were right. preparing for and um and she she had no idea that like she could ask for that. Like it was more or less something that we were trying to, to help prepare them for. And she said that she, you know, she, she was like, I I had no idea that I could just do that, that I could literally just ask if I could bring my, my husband home for a day or two. And, um, and it was something that she wanted to do, but just never asked until we had brought it up and, and kind of guided things along that way. And I just thought that was, thought that was pretty powerful. It was quite emotional for the both of them. And that's yeah, great. it's just, um, yeah. yeah. 
very important moments for for patients to feel like they have a say. Yes. You know, it's so important. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk about some of the ways in which you approach particular topics, like how to connect with patients who feel misunderstood. You know, what do you do when a patient isn't feeling like they're being heard? And also about how training providers in communication skills can actually impact their ability to ward off burnout and how to keep them more satisfied and happy in their work. Mm. So that's some of the directions I'd like to go after we take a break. Does that sound okay? Sounds good. Great. So y'all hang in there. We will be right back with more of Jennifer George in the second half of episode 360 of The Nurse Keith Show. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Remember, the show notes are located at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 360. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend, Jennifer George. And Jennifer, prior to the break, we were talking about patients and empowering them and providers and communication and how we, I feel like we need to have a university for patients on how they can Mm -hmm. be more empowered and talk with their providers. But I wanted to ask you when a patient feels misunderstood, when they feel like the provider's just not getting it, whether it's you or you're observing or whatever, what do you do to make a connection so that the patient then feels like you actually are kind of getting it then. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, so if I'm in the moment with them, um, I'm really just kind of quiet and just taking it all in. Um, I'm validating of how they're feeling. And um, if it's not about me specifically, and um, it's a, maybe another practitioner that they felt unheard by, um, you know, I, I try to uh, like, I offer, 
me following up with that provider to kind of reach back out with them if that's what they would prefer. Most of the time, it's more just they want someone to hear that they felt unheard. And one of the things that um, I try to do as a provider and one of my missions, I guess you could say, is to to see the unseen, to try to understand the misunderstood and try to hear those who feel unheard. So it really is just about holding space for, for the patient to express their concerns and then offering that follow-up if, if they would like me to follow up on that with them or, or for them or giving them the strategies to do that um, or the process to do that. Um, and if it's one of the other things too, if, you know, I, I that I, I try to um, convey to providers is that oftentimes, oftentimes, um, when patients are having a hard time, they feel, they seem withdrawn from us, that most of the time it doesn't have to do with just with us, you know, and I think it's really important to, to keep our egos out of it as much as we possibly can and recognize that the interactions are not about us, but about, about our, about our patient and what it is that they need most um, in that moment. So, yeah. So there's a couple different perspectives there. Those are good perspectives and uh, patients can, um, how would I say this? There are generational differences in communication styles Mm -hmm. and you know, the, what has characteristically been called the silent generation, you know, the World War II or Eisenhower generation, who I'm thinking of people I know right now in their 80s or even 90s who, you know, the doctor is the authority and you don't really question the doctor and you don't really complain to or about the doctor. And younger generations have different communication styles. So do you think things are changing and the generations are becoming more, um, what would be the word, assertive in terms of communication? Um, I would say so. I would say so. I I still, I mean, I I see a wide range of patients of different ages. And even Mm -hmm. my my, my most youngest patients, not that long ago, I had a patient in her teens, like she was 18, I think. um, And previously had interactions um, with other providers um, where she was being delegated a lot to an assistant and, and didn't know that that was um, not something that she had to consent to, basically. Um, so, oh. you know, and then came into our care and was recognizing that she was, you know, working with me often um, as the therapist. And I, and she said, you know, I really didn't realize I had a choice. Like, I, I you know, it's so interesting. And so I don't really know if there's, um, like, I know exactly what you're saying. I, um, and, you know, it's like the doctor's word is Bible, but in terms of interactions and the quality of the interaction, um, I don't know if they, they process it differently. I, I can't really say that there's a huge difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, it's fascinating to watch. Yeah. And um, we also have the whole idea of, we have provider patient communication mm-hmm. We have provider-provider communication. Then we have provider-administration communication, yep. right? The executives and the managers and you know all those other people. Yep. So when we hear about what I mentioned earlier, uh, medical improv, that often has to do with provider-provider communication. Okay. And one of the things that comes up a lot in nursing, and I know it's not just the United States, is 
bullying and harassment and intimidation and, Mm -hmm. and incivility, basically, I guess that's the big overarching term. Do you feel like, how would I ask this question? What do you feel like communication training could do if we were much more assertive about training our providers in terms of communication? Do you feel like that could really take a bite out of the what we could call the epidemic of bullying and incivility and aberrant behavior in healthcare? Yeah, I just find it, I've always felt it so ironic that in healthcare, it's, um, you know, we're in a profession to serve others, to be there for others, but yet it can be so toxic, um, you know, at different levels. And um, I really, I really don't have the answers, but I I would think that any type of communication training um, could be applied, you know, you know, interpersonally between providers as well, just the basics of compassion and empathy and listening and, um, just working as a team oftentimes as well. Um, I, I, it's just, it blows my mind sometimes the, um, the stories I hear in terms of toxic workplaces. And, and um, yeah, that's, I, I speak a lot of like a little bit about that on my podcast, but I really delete, des- mm-hmm. I really believe it deserves much more than that. Like it's, it's like, where do you focus? Right. Because I, I do think it's a big source of burnout for some people as well. And even, you know, you can go as far as to say mental illness and things like that. I'm sure it contributes in some way. Absolutely. And, and all the, the physiological symptoms of burnout and stress. And, you know, we can't ignore the fact that we've been in the middle of a, you know, historical, not historical, historic pandemic. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people have under been under great duress these last two years, right? So you can imagine some of the communication breakdown that happens here and there, probably much more than we even realize because of just, just the overarching zeitgeist of what's going on out there in the world. Do you, yeah. do you hear stories of how the pandemic has created um, extra or extraordinary communication breakdown because of the stressors? I, I think it's kind of always been there, but yeah, I, I would say that it's, I think, I would think that it's more highlighted be, since the pandemic, mm. you know, I think that, mm-hmm. I think the pandemic has shone a big light on, on what, um, what gaps there are, I guess you can say in healthcare when it comes to communication and just, you know, team communication uh, for sure. And I think it, it's a combination of our personal stress that we're going through and then having to keep it together to take care of others in the professional environment. And we're all, we're all coming together for that common goal, but it's, it's easy to feel like you're also alone in doing that sometimes. You know, I often hear from providers that it's so easy to look at another person who seems like they have it together and, you know, just feel kind of bad about yourself and feel like, you yeah. know, so people just kind of having those real conversations and just, again, those non-clinical conversations, um, I think is helpful for just connecting and um, recognizing that we're all just human. I really, mm-hmm. I really have a hard time with the whole healthcare hero thing. I've never liked it since day one. I, oh, I thought it set us no. up for an impossible standard, you know, Um and uh, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, and we're seeing that now, I guess you could say even more so. Yeah, I I'm really have a hard time with it. Yeah. And I've been saying all along publicly, like, 
we can call them warriors. Yeah, I love that. Let's not call them heroes because when we go with hero, angel, you know, like angels and scrubs and all that, you know, it's just, it's first, it's making them seem kind of superhuman or not human. So I think it's dehumanizing, even though it could be seen as giving someone this great accolade to say they're a hero. Yeah. But I, I would rather hear warrior because that's what people have been doing these last two years. And there's this big dust up out there in in the US right now, specifically, and on social media, it's just been blowing up, especially I've seen on LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. I don't want to get deep into this with you right now because it's sure. another issue, but just along that hero line, you know, nurses have been lauded and all these accolades and heroes been like, you know, lathered on nurses mm-hmm. for the last two years. But now Congress is here in the States is looking at capping travel nurse salaries because Mm -hmm. they, you know, they want to control costs and, you know, nurses are saying, well, actually we're actually being shown what we're, what we're really worth right now. And Mm -hmm. there's lots of different arguments about that, but it comes down for me to some extent of, you know, what do we value in caregivers and why do we value those who provide care to our loved ones and help them stay well or die with dignity or whatever, or what have you. And when we label people with words that, that sound hollow, like hero, and then Mm -hmm. we start to, to come from a critical place of them, like, oh, they're earning too much money. Um, And that's coming from members of Congress who can make millions of dollars in consulting fees and have the best health insurance in the world for life. You know, there's, there's a lot of, Speak, talk about communication. There's a lot of ire out there flying around because nurses feel like they're now starting to get thrown under a bus and doesn't mm-hmm. feel very good to people who've been slogging it out for two years, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And how can it? You know, I have so much empathy for for all providers too, because yeah, mm-hmm. we're tired <laughs> legitimately. Yeah. 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 And what's getting communicated there when we're complaining about what medical providers earn when we're still in a pandemic. So, you know, the communication mm-hmm. happens all different ways. And sorry, that was a little diatribe, but those happen here on the show. No. And no, I love that. <laughs> I, yeah, it's important. And I wanted to ask you yeah. one more thing about what I, I kind of glossed over a few minutes ago, which is provider administrator communication. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's the people who we call, you know, bean counters, like they're the ones who watch the money, right? Or the ones Mm -hmm. who watch just the quality metrics and they're not watching the humanity of the providers. So what do you feel could be improved in that area of communication? Um, I think transparency, I think collaborative approach is really important Mm. Um, instead of this kind of top down hierarchy, I think, Mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to burnout, because I know it's not just at the provider level. I I know that, you know, executives are feeling it too. Right. Um, So I get that, but 
we could come together um, for the common goal of minimizing burnout and minimizing moral injury and, and things like that. I mean, it also depends too on your level of safety and how, how safe you feel in your working environment um, when it comes to maybe one-to-one -one interactions. Um, you know, that, that kind of has its own place. I, I've always felt like if you could just have one trusted person in the workplace, then, you know, that's super helpful and can go a long way, even if it's for mentorship or if it's for just letting off steam or just, you know, being yourself with someone. Right. Um, uh -huh. but yeah, I think that, I think as a provider, that would be what I would want to see is more of that collaborative approach, because I think only providers can tell you what they need. Um, and we, we're so, um, we're so good at just keeping it together for as long as we need to. And we're starting to see that people are suffering. And, um, and rather than us having to approach all of the time, it would be nice if someone said, you know, tapped us on the shoulder and said, Hey, how are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. um, and then go beyond that and, you know, have an actual dialogue about it, I think is, is also important because the other thing about that is, and I've been talking about this with some guests on my podcast is, We've been recording stats on burnout for so long, right? You know, you've, we've been seeing this trend go up and up and up for so long and it's at its highest now. So where, mm -hmm. where are the solutions and, you know, enough is enough. <laughs> like we have to, we have to be more proactive about this. So that's the only other way I could see it is it has to be collaborative. Yeah, it does. It does. And, you know, I, I've heard of the, the odd administrator who will actually get into a hospital gown and like go through a patient's day yeah. or be on the receiving end of, of care and see what it looks like from the, the patient's perspective, which is a really powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And Definitely. I've also heard of medical students who are the same thing. They have to actually undergo procedures. They actually get wheeled around in gurneys. They have to, you know, sit in a hospital gown and, you know, kind of wait for the provider to come around. And, you know, we can all foster empathy in a lot of different ways and walking in someone else's shoes. And we mm -hmm. mentioned earlier communication training and burnout. And I know this mm. is something you speak about and how communication training can impact burnout risk. Like it can decrease the risk of yeah. burnout. What do you feel like actually happens there when, when we, when we teach these skills, what are we allowing people to experience and how do they, how do they actually decrease their level of burnout? Um, so it really comes down to uh, like connecting and aligning with their work again. Um, one of the big sources of burnout is, uh, or core components of burnout, I guess you can say, is emotional exhaustion and depersonalization. And then also feeling like your work has no meaning anymore. And what's the point? Um, and through communication training, uh, you know, we can help restore empathy again, and we can help to, to um, help providers be more autonomous in their abilities to communicate with patients and understand that that alone is one of the ways that we kind of empower ourselves again to have control mm -hmm. and autonomy over our practice is in those moments. Um, and the more we can do that and collect on that, the better. But we also have to understand that there's a bigger picture there to burn out too. So, uh, so that's one component is focused 
focusing on the communication piece. And, and the research shows that it's reduced levels of anxiety in healthcare providers. Um, but then there's also the piece of the inefficiencies of this, the, the organization or the system itself that also has to be looked at in combination. Um, so there was some work done at the Cleveland Clinic, and that's kind of what they noticed is um, they looked at kind of where could we where could we minimize the energy demands on healthcare providers and our everyday processes on top of communication training and empathy training as well mm-hmm. and bringing that all together. But for, for me, it definitely is giving power back to the provider in the sense that, yes, what you're doing is making a difference again and um, training them to be more autonomous in their, in their, in their one-to-ones, I guess you can say, or in their interactions. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. And, and, and finally, I want to ask you, you know, you wrote a book called communication is care, nine empowering strategies to guide patient healing. And that's available on Amazon and we'll have a link in the show notes. And I wanted to know what, what's the, the main thrust and thesis of the book? If someone wanted to purchase a copy, which I highly recommend and <laughs> will encourage our listeners to do so, what's the, what's the, the core, like the kernel of this book? So the, the kernel of the book essentially is for healthcare providers to, to build and enhance their communication skills because it really is a part of patient healing. And so in my opinion, and through this book, it's your communication that actually enhances your patient outcomes. So it really is the difference between a good outcome and a great outcome, a memorable outcome, for example, as well, just one that really touches people's lives rather than just completing a task and, and just showing up. Mm-hmm. And these nine strategies are specific to healthcare providers and what they can employ right. in their so, relationships with patients. Yeah. So a part of it is bringing yourself to the equation. So things like um, connecting with purpose, your integrity, reflection um, are all very powerful. And then how you can use those to then also convey empathy and compassion and empowering um, other patients and caregivers. And, and avoiding mm. conflict. Conflict is a big thing as well. I shouldn't say avoiding. It's more like, in my opinion, preventing conflict. Uh, often in healthcare, at least for me, I can see conflict coming from a mile away. And, and part of the book, too, talks about just kind of how to be more proactive about things that, you know, could be a bigger web of concern down the road. Yeah, that's great. And I, I really encourage people to pick up a copy of the book and to share it with their colleagues. And if you're an administrator out there listening, perhaps, or a, a CNO or a nurse manager or a medical director, maybe you want to pick up you know, a copy for every employee yeah. and distribute it and maybe even create like a little a little study guide or reading group or something. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. you know, just saying, if you run a hospital with, you know, 4,000 employees, pick up 4,000 copies of Jennifer's <laughs> book and um, just go from there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll <laughs> send a copy to Alan Aldous so shortly too. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Keith. Uh, it was kind of cool, actually. What were you going to say? My dad's, um, it was kind of cool. My dad's surgeon um, came to my book signing, you know, in London, Ontario, and he actually bought a couple of copies and then brought them to the hospital. He had been retired since then, um, where he'd worked at the transplant unit and actually brought the book to the transplant unit so that, because my dad's case was so complicated and it was a learning tool, but it was also like, 
you know, hey, <laughs> there's a story here um, behind That's that. Great. So, yeah, it's just really, it's really cool to hear people's stories and and to get feedback from providers. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, it's a great book and you're doing really good work out there in the world. Your podcast is wonderful. And people can find you on Health Podcast Network, right? Mm -hmm. There's your show is there. And um, where else can they find you? JenniferGeorge.co, is that right? Yep. Yep. So you can connect with me there. That's my website. So you can subscribe to my newsletters there if you'd like as well, um, or simply contact me through there. I'm social media wise, I'm on all platforms, but I'm mostly present on Instagram. So my handle's at Best Obsessed with Jen. Yeah. Best Obsessed with Jen. Right. And then the podcast is the healthcare provider happy hour. So you can pour a drink or not, um, (laughs) adult beverage or not, and show up and hang out with Jennifer and her awesome guests. So it's really a great show and it's in my queue now. So I really appreciate that. And you mentioned that you wanted to offer, or you do offer free 30 minute one-to-one mentorship calls for improving patient provider communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to sit and chat and just listen to to what you have going on and see if I can be a source of support. Well, thank yeah. you for that. So people can email you yeah. or just go to your website and contact you through the website? Both ways. So my email is jennifer ways. at jennifergeorge.co. Okay. Jennifer at jennifergeorge.co. Well, anyone listening out there, if you'd like to take advantage of that free 30-minute one-on-one mentorship call with Jennifer, please do take her up on it and let me know that you had a conversation with her. It'd be really wonderful. And Jennifer, you're awesome. And I'm so glad we're together on the Health Podcast Network. And Dan over at Health Podcast will be so happy that you've been on my show. And thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thanks, Keith. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this great episode of the Nurse Keith Show. And remember, the show notes can be found at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 360. If you need personalized holistic career coaching, please look no further than nursekeith.com. Mention Jennifer and get 15% off your first coaching package. Please buy a copy of her book. You can find it on Amazon. The links will be in the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 360. And as I mentioned, Jennifer's podcast and mine are proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from snowy Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the inimitable Jennifer George saying adieu from... From Windsor, Ontario. From Windsor, Ontario. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks so much. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the flip side.